We begin reading at verse 26, chapter 8, the book of Acts. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his sharer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. May God add his blessing. To this reading from his word. In the creed which was said by us a few moments ago, the great Nicene Creed, we said these words, and I believe the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Now for a long time, the ministry of the Holy Spirit seemed to fall into neglect by many in the church. The Lord has his ways of writing uh, things that go wrong. There has been a great influence, a, a great interest in the last few years in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the books that have been generated are almost so great in number that I could not begin to recite them all to you this day. You have one set of books that speak uh, specifically almost about the gift of tongues. You have another set of books that tell you that this gift is no longer. And then you have what I call the peacemaker books that try to bridge the gap in between. And there are a host of books. Actually, to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we need to go back to the scriptures which were inbreathed by the Holy Spirit and which are given to us for our understanding, not only of his ministry, but so that in our lives we might sense and know his power. 
The Lord Jesus had met in that upper room as we read in our responsive reading. His disciples were all full of confusion and fear because they realized that something awful, some impending sense of gloom and doom, hung like a dark pallor over them as they met that night in the upper room. The disturbing words had already been spoken that one of their number would betray him. They were asking the question, Lord, is, is it I? And Peter was saying, though all men betray thee, I will never betray thee. And Jesus was telling him that before the cock would crow in the morning, he would thrice deny that he even knew him. And so in the midst of that worry and confusion, Jesus gave to the church the eternal legacy. He spoke to them of what was going to happen when he went away. He spoke to them of one who would come, one who is called in the lesson we read today a counselor. This means in the sense of an advocate, one who speaks on our behalf. All too often I am faced with difficult problems as to know how to pray for certain people. Those of us who have loved ones, who hang in the balances between life and death, who are often unconscious, who are sometimes on a heart and lung machine, and whose lives are only kept going by a mechanical mechanism. We wonder how we should pray, and it is the greatest source of comfort to me to know that the Holy Spirit prays for us, that he intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We are told all of this in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. But Jesus said that night in the upper room that it was necessary for him to go away because when he went away, this counselor would come, the one who is called to stand by our side, to plead to the Father on behalf when we do not know how to pray as we ought, the one who is to shield us when severe temptation comes upon us, the one who is to bring us strength and comfort, the comforter. What a tremendous word that is. Some of us have had the blessing of having friends that were so dear to us that they could come to us when everything in the world seemed to go wrong. And just when they walked in the room, they didn't really have to say much. Just that touch on the shoulder, just that look into our eyes. And we knew right away that things were going to be all right because we were not in that difficulty alone, but there was someone who stood with us. So Jesus tells us this is to be the ministry of the Holy Spirit, another like unto himself, one with the Father and the Son to be glorified, will come and bear testimony uh, of, uh, to the Lord Jesus. Now, how does he do this? We go from John 17 and the promise to the coming of the person of the Holy Spirit in great power on the day of Pentecost. Let me clarify again for those of you who do not know the meaning of that word Pentecost, that seven weeks after the Passover came the festival of the Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And uh, on this day, which they usually, the pious Jews, celebrated the giving of the law of God, 
the waving of the first fruits before God, the first sheaves of wheat that were gathered in. Well, now Jesus had been put to death. He had been raised again in power from the dead. The 40 mysterious days had passed in which he appeared to his disciples on many occasions, demonstrating the reality and the proof of his bodily resurrection from the dead, breathing upon them and telling them to receive the breath of the Holy Spirit. And then when he had been received out of their sight on Ascension Day, he had told them to tarry, to wait in the city of Jerusalem until they would be endowed with power from on high. Now that power was to come through the person of the Holy Spirit. We are not to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. We are to the, refer to the Holy Spirit as him. He it is, uh, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, and who is to be glorified. None of us would ever be wakened unto salvation through what God has wrought for us in Christ Jesus apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see what happens on that day of Pentecost. Now, there is not a great deal of talk there about the Holy Spirit himself. But Jesus had said, when he comes, he will bear witness not of himself, but of me. He will guide you into all truth. Now, on that day, the festival of Pentecost, Jews and proselytes, proselytes are converts, Gentile converts to Judaism, had gathered from every place to the city of Jerusalem. They had come from far distant countries, and they were all there. And the 120 uh, disciples and followers of our Lord, about 120, were in a prayer meeting. And suddenly they heard a sound, an audible sound, of a mighty rushing wind. They heard the sound. And then they saw a visual manifestation. They saw cloven tongues of fire is what is described here. Perhaps it was like the shining of Moses' face when he came down from the mountain and wist not that his face shone from the presence of God. At any rate, there was an audio and a visual representation of the power of God. And these men began to realize that a prophecy in the book of Joel was now coming to its fulfillment, and the promise of Jesus was coming to its fulfillment. And so the crowds looked at these 120 who came out into the temple precincts, and they began to ask a very good question, what does this mean? And then Peter, the one who had cowardly denied that he even knew Jesus, Peter, plus the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, began to speak to this multitude. Some of them were simply curious and asked what these things meant. Some of them were simply astounded and taken back. And then there were those who sit in the seat of the scornful, who scoffed and said, these men are all drunk, they are filled with new wine. And Peter good-naturedly says to them, they are not drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, the bars are not even open, and they couldn't be drunk. And then he begins that great sermon that he gave at Pentecost. In this sermon, what does he speak about? He primarily says this is the fulfillment of prophecy and the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit in a new way. 
And why has he come? He has come to bear testimony to what Jesus Christ had done. And here were the very men who had been responsible for the death of our Lord upon the cross, and Peter preaches to them, preaches to them all about Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good, who healed the lame and made the blind to see, that this one who was accredited by God through these marvelous manifestations of signs and powers, that he had been put to death by your leaders, said Peter, the man who had cowered and run away into the darkness in Caiaphas's courtyard, now as bold as a lion, and he speaks out to these people and says, you put him to death. You murdered the Son of God. But God has turned this into his own power, and he has made it a way of salvation for you. And then the people began to shout, what must we do to be saved? The results of that sermon were tremendous, for thousands that day were converted and were baptized, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now here is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That ministry is to bear a testimony to Jesus. The, the purpose is to bear the testimony to Jesus. Now, what about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life? The, the Holy Spirit, as I have said, he is not an impersonal force, but he is the power of a dynamic presence amongst us. If you received a case of dynamite, that would be a case of power, but you could treat it as it and as an impersonal force. You could do with that what you wanted to do with it. But here is where some people make a mistake regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. We do not manipulate the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes not as an abstract power. He comes as a person of great dignity and authority. And what, what we do when someone like that comes into our midst is to do all we can for them. Someone once said of Dwight L. Moody derisively, does Mr. Moody think that he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And one of Mr. Moody's friends said, no, Mr. Moody does not think that he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Do you see the difference? If a person comes, then I do his bidding. Now, many people have made a gross error at this point. They made the same error that they ought to read about in the book of Acts, where one Simon Magus comes to Peter and wants to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. And the words that Peter uses to him are very harsh words. He says, your money perish with you, you son of the devil. He speaks to him in, in the harshest possible terms. The man simply wanted to buy from Peter the power to walk over and say, you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you can do all of these things. But you see, God is not going to stand for this kind of manipulation. You can deceive yourself here. And that was the great read uh, by all means about Simon Magus. You can read about him in this eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Well, Philip, who was a deacon, 
Philip had been one of those who had been appointed to take care of the menial task of seeing to it that there was a right allocation of food amongst those who were hungry and needy. But he also magnified his office as a deacon, a servant. And Philip was also a witness to Jesus Christ. And when persecution broke out in Jerusalem, the church of the Lord Jesus began to spread. And as the church began like a raging flame to go, so Philip went into a land that had hitherto been anathema to any pious Jew. He went to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were hated by a good Jew. They were half-breed renegades, and most of the Jewish people would have nothing to do with them at all. But Philip went into Samaria, and there he began to teach the things concerning Christ. He began to heal people. His ministry was full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and great blessing came. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that, Philip is told to go away uh, into a desert region. And as he goes away into the desert region, we see the Holy Spirit now guiding Philip. Instead of ministering to a multitude, ministering to one individual. For as Philip walks along the road, out in the shimmering heat waves of the desert sun, he sees a chariot coming. A retinue of servants are there. And as that chariot draws near to where Philip is, Philip can scarce believe his ears, for he hears a man reading from the words of Isaiah 53, the great promise of the suffering Messiah who was to come. And Philip comes and walks alongside that chariot, and he looks into it, and he says to a man of Ethiopia, his skin would have been blue-black, dark as it could be. And Peter, uh, Philip looks in at this black man, and he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? Now let me digress just a moment. Where did this Ethiopian ever learn about the God of Israel. I'll tell you what I think. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave the Pharisees of his day a great compliment when he said to them that they would compass, that they would search about heaven and earth to make one proselyte, one convert to Judaism. That's how intense they were in their teaching. They wanted to go and to win others to Judaism. And Jewish people are often financiers. They have a lot to do with money. Uh, you can see this in the Secretary of Treasury, I believe, of our country at this time is Jewish. Uh, you find many ministers of finance who are Jewish people. And Candace, the queen of the Ethiopian, has a man uh, who works for her who would really be an outcast, a eunuch, People would not even want to speak to him in the temple. And yet this man had evidently come in contact with some Jew who had shared with him the things about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this man had come to believe in the true and the living God 
so much so that he made his way all the way to the city of Jerusalem at the festival of Pentecost. And there he must have hungered and thirsted after righteousness. He wanted God. And he cried out, oh, if I can only find God. Maybe he saw some of these fishermen preachers standing at the street corners talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe he spoke to Caiaphas. Maybe he spoke to one of the people in great authority in the temple and heard the rumors about Jesus. We don't know. But we know one thing. When he went away home, he was reading out loud the scroll of Isaiah and the part where it speaks of the suffering servant of God, the Messiah. And Philip heard him and said, Do you understand what you're reading? Now you see the Spirit bears witness to a multitude and the Spirit bears witness to an individual. And the man said, How can I except someone should guide me? The Holy Spirit had told Philip to go and join himself there. Then the Ethiopian invites him to come up into the wagon or the chariot with him and to sit by his side. And as he does, Philip begins at the same place and he preaches unto him Jesus. And then the glorious moment comes when this man sees water and he asks Philip what is there to keep him from being baptized. And Philip asks the great, great question of him. Do you believe with all your heart? And the man replies, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the great question to be answered in order to be baptized. And there on the spot, that Ethiopian is baptized and becomes a brother in the Lord of Philip. I think he must have called all of his retinue of servants about him and they watched as Philip and the Ethiopian went into the water and they heard those marvelous words of baptism and then when he came up out of the water the Spirit of the Lord told Philip to go away caught him away told him to leave and this Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing what a tremendous thing rejoicing because the faith which he has is no stagnant faith, but it is now alive and full of joy and power, and his whole life has been transformed. Now, I don't have time to conclude as I had hoped to do, but I want to tell you this, and you please do not forget it. The greatest day in your Christian life outside of the time when you come to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God is when you come to understand that the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life is to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it is not simply a suggestion, but it is laid up on us that the virtues of Christ are to be manifest in our lives as we bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We have some wonderful Sunday school teachers here. I hope that sometimes you will cut out for your children or devise a, a cluster of fruit, of nine fruit, three clusters each. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. 
The word eros in Greek means erotic love, the love of a man for a maid, the uh, sexual magnetism that attracts. That word never occurs in the New Testament because of the connotations that it had at that time. The word here is not eros. The word here is not phileo or phile, uh, which is a, a familiar love of a friend for a friend. It is not storge, which is the Greek word for uh, the love which we have toward members of our family. But it is agape, the biggest word for love in all the world. It is a love which is not a fleeting impulse. It is a love which is guided by the intelligence of our will and our purpose. And that is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. That fruit is love. How am I going to love someone that I know is going to hurt me or to do me in and who does everything they can against me and I just simply can't bring myself to trust him? What will I do? I go to Jesus and I say to him, give me the Holy Spirit that his power may so abide in my life that I may see what it is that you love in this person and will you use me to show your love to that individual and then joy, not simply the uh, flippant type of joy, but the deep sense of joy that comes from a relationship with God that rests upon a conviction that my sins are all gone through what Christ has done for me on the cross. And then peace, that serenity which comes as a result of a right relationship with God. Our little kids used to sing it, if you got the love you got the joy, and if you got the joy, you got the peace. And that's a good way to put it. That's my relationship with God. My relationship to other people uh, also has to do with long-suffering. What is long-suffering? It's the opposite of short-suffering. <laughs> it, it means patience. When doctors tell you that you're a patient, believe you me, that is what you are. <laughs> you, you have to be very patient. You suffer with sense is really what the, the, the word means. Uh, it means that I have patience. Uh, and this is what most of us need and have to ask God for. Uh, St. Teresa, I believe it was, who cried out in our prayer, God, give me patience and I want it now. <laughs> well, uh, that fruit is not always produced just that quickly. Uh, kindness. The word kindness comes from our word for kinfolk. Have you ever noticed how, how we can see in our own children the very best and how we can see in them all the wonderful things that we do not see in other people's children sometimes because we are kin to them? Well, kindness comes from that, that we treat others with that kindness which was such a, a virtue of our Lord Jesus and goodness, just plain goodness, goodness, the goodness like Jesus would show. And then faithfulness and meekness, which really means, self, which really means uh, uh, gentleness. Meekness, which is gentleness, which is uh, our goodness is harnessed, our personality is harnessed and disciplined by God. And self-control, which means that our self is under the control of the Holy Spirit. These are the nine fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. And these are all available to us 
But we must remember that there are fruits to be grown. No one walks out the door today having come to church and had distributed to him a great bunch of the fruits of the Spirit. But through the reading of the Word of God, through prayer and fellowship with God's people, he begins to grow, and those fruits grow in him, and the fruits of the Spirit manifest the glory of God. May I close with just a line from a letter which I received very unexpectedly. I haven't heard from this person in almost 20 years. I believe it's 19 years to be exact. I want to tell you they had heard that I'd been sick and had written a letter of encouragement. I want to tell you that I had a real life-changing experience in your church one day many years ago. Sitting there in the pew, I heard you say that we can really believe God's promise that he will take us home to heaven when this life is over if we will only accept his son, Jesus, and what he has done for us. I knew I'd accepted Jesus years before, and I knew of God's promise, but until that moment, I wasn't at all certain that I could know for sure that I was going to heaven. I thought it was not possible to know such things this side of the grave. Well, God really spoke to me that day. Driving home from church, I had to go awfully slow because I could hardly see through my tears to drive safely. I felt like the biggest question of my life had just been answered. This person, after leaving the area where I served then over at Waynesville, went with her husband, who is a forest ranger, uh, to Colorado and to Florida and to Alaska, and now at Mount Rainier National Park out in Washington. And this person has now written telling not only what happened that day, but how she and her husband and their four children drive 55 miles to go to church to worship with God's people, how they teach a Bible class, and how they've grown in grace with God's people. These are the sort of things that I never dreamed of at the time and didn't know about. That's why I read it, because it was evidently the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes and persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel. The promise is a person, and the person has power, and that power enables us to believe. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the great promise which the Lord Jesus made to his own. We thank thee that you kept that promise, and that the Holy Spirit not only came at Pentecost, but he is here in Montreat today, and that he is speaking to us from the scriptures, and that wherever we have sinned and fallen short, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and know that that one who suffered on the cross has paid the price for our sins, and we can accept that gift. So we cling to what you have wrought for us in Jesus Christ, and we pray that as a result of being reconciled unto you by faith in your Son, that we may know the gift of the Holy Spirit's gracious power, not only his dramatic gifts, but the fruits of the Holy Spirit demonstrating in our own lives day after day that we belong 
to you and to your Son, and that we are guided by the Spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with you all now and forevermore. This is news from American Contemporary Radio. I'm Mike Dewey. Casualty figures up. Details on that story in 60 seconds. If I said that the way people mistreat and abuse each other is really bad news. I'd say that the way Jesus brings people together again is really good news. Defense Secretary James Schlesinger today issued new figures of casualties in the Mayaguez operation. Schlesinger told ABC News three Marines and two airmen were killed, 16 missing, and 70 to 80 wounded in the Battle of Kotang Island. The tally is not final. Senate Democratic leader Mike Mansfield feels the military action in the Mayaguez incident could have been avoided. Mansfield was asked today if he would favor establishing diplomatic relations with the new governments in Indochina. And Mansfield said... Gee, I hate to tell you, but you may have bad food care habits. <laughs>